Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A, it's time to ask the Mayo Mom. I think a lot of people recognize some of the key things like feeling really sad or feeling really down. And so a lot of times that's one of the first symptoms that parents will come to me noticing. The teen years can be extremely difficult and depression affects teenagers far more often than many of us realize. Recognizing certain changes in behavior and communicating with teenagers can help them through this highly treatable problem. So making an environment where it's okay to talk about feelings and it's becoming normal to talk about when things are hard and when things make us feel negatively is really important. Here is Dr. Angela Matke, a pediatrician at Mayo Clinic's Children's Center and host of Ask the Mayo Mom. Today we will be discussing depression and helping your adolescent through challenging times. Joining us for this discussion are two providers on the front lines in pediatric mental health. Our first guest is Dr. Paige Partain, a pediatrician at Mayo Clinic Children's Center who completed a one-year fellowship in pediatric behavioral health through Boston Children's Hospital. Our second guest is Hannah Mulholland, a licensed independent clinical social worker in integrated behavioral health within the primary care setting. Please send your questions today about the topic and we will try our best to review them during the live broadcast. Dr. Partain and Hannah, thank you again for coming back to talk about such an important topic today to be here. Yep. Happy to be here. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really been a challenge for children and adults alike. Um, What do we know, Dr. Partain, about the prevalence of depression and suicide behaviors in teens during the past year, year and a half? Well, I certainly know that we've probably all anecdotally experienced um, and really felt the increase in challenges that everyone's experiencing, especially our teenagers. Um, So I know that I see it personally in my patients and I have friends and family members who see it in their teenagers and their teenagers' friends. I think finding actual um, research data on that is a little more challenging because it's all very new, but we do have some studies coming out of several different locations that are showing us increases in uh, the proportion of visits to the emergency rooms that are related to mental health struggles. Um, We're seeing increases in um, reports of thoughts of suicide coming from teenagers that are surveyed coming into emergency departments. So I think that there's some some real research data there too to support and kind of back up what we're all seeing and feeling anecdotally as well. So Dr. Partain, you know, what are the signs and symptoms of of depression in adolescents that parents would be seeing or that we would be seeing in the office? I think a lot of people um, recognize some of the key things like, like, Um, feeling really sad or feeling really down. And so a lot of times that's one of the first symptoms that parents will come to me noticing or teenagers will come to me saying that they've noticed that they're feeling, but I want to say some of the more subtle things that will happen, um, may kind of creep in over time. So teenagers who are starting to isolate more um, and just sort of avoid things that they used to really enjoy. So instead of spending time with the family after dinner, they wanna spend time only in their room or instead of um, doing something with their friends on the weekend, they're kind of staying home and, you know, just looking at things on the internet or sleeping. Um, But I think another really key symptom that a lot of times families may not recognize as being related to depression is irritability. So certainly teenagers have lots of ups and downs. And there's times that 
they get upset or irritated about something, but definitely if you're noticing that your teen is way more irritable than kind of typical or that all the little things are starting to get under their skin and, and really cause them trouble, it's important to stop and actually think about depression because particularly for teenagers, that can be a really clear sign for us that, that something is off, um, especially when we compare depression in teenagers to depression in adults. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the question we hear a lot in the office, and I'm sure you do as well, is from parents is how do they really talk to their child about emotions and feelings without without it being awkward or weird or without it um, making feelings and emotions seem like something that's abnormal? Yeah, I think that's a great question because how we communicate with the teens is modeling how they can communicate back with us. So making an environment where it's okay to talk about feelings and it's becoming mm-hmm. normal to talk about when things are hard and when things make us feel negatively um, is really important. And so um, when a teen does kind of express like, oh, I'm feeling grumpy today or sad, really validating that and saying that's a really hard feeling to manage Um and not pathologizing it right now, like saying there's something wrong with them for having a negative emotion, but um, just letting them know that you're there and you hear them. Uh, don't try saying, oh, I feel that too, because, you know, according to a teenager, we can't relate at all. So never. <laughs> maybe instead just let them know that's a really hard feeling to have. Yeah, absolutely. But what, as the family may be having that discussion, what if what their child or their teenager is telling them could be suggestive of depression? Do they respond differently in that situation? Or is it the same sort of validating um, symptoms and, and empathizing with them? I think you definitely start out the same with those same skills of, of validating and empathizing. And, um, but then kind of softly, gently saying, you know, I want to make sure this isn't a bigger problem. And so let's seek out some help and maybe a further evaluation just to make sure we're doing everything we need for you. Okay. You know, as the, as the course of that discussion sometimes happens with teenagers, sometimes they, they share with their family that they have had thoughts about wanting to die or feeling suicidal, which can be really, really scary for a parent to hear. How would you recommend that a family respond in that situation? Oh, that's a great question. Cause those are the scariest statements to hear from your child. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to experience that. Right. Um, and so the first thing I suggest is just thanking them for being willing to share that out loud mm-hmm. and say how hard that is. Like, thank you for telling me that. Um, and then ask them a little bit more about it. You know, kind of, how are you feeling that way today? Or when is the last time Um, are you feeling like those are thoughts you want to act on? And if you're getting any sense of urgency at all, or immediacy, getting them in for an immediate evaluation in your local emergency department is really, really important. Um, but if you're sensing it's a little bit more distant and they're kind of coming to you now, then, um, setting up to get them help, um, in not, not, not emergent setting. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, if it seems to be more severe or acute that getting them emergent kind of evaluation and help. What if, um, what if a family is dealing with something that's been going on kind of more chronically, how do they help their teens stay, stay safe in that situation? I think the biggest thing is creating an environment where it's okay to say when you're in that spot and when you're feeling that way. Um, so creating kind of a family safety plan, a family communication plan of how you're going to let each other know when things are really hard or when it's a downtime um, is really crucial to the teen success. Okay. The other thing I like to really encourage is um, recognizing or encouraging the teenager to reach out to any responsible adult if they're struggling. Um, so depending on what's going on in their life or, um, or sort of 
you know, your past history, every teenager is a little bit different in terms of who they feel like they can talk to in those scenarios. And so I like to help parents understand, you know, as much as we want to open lines of communication between you and your child, there's sometimes when they're really struggling, that if they feel more comfortable reaching out to the school counselor or reaching out to their therapist, um, or calling grandma, um, if, if there's anyone that they can reach out to in that moment, we want to know. And so we need to just help them feel safe to reach out to anybody who could help them in that moment. So mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of teenagers who will say that they feel comfortable talking to their friends, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes friends can be a really important support as they're going through challenging times. But in that moment where we're really worried about their safety, um, what I tell teenagers is it's not that I don't want your friend to be able to support you, but your friend can't put you in a car and take you to the emergency room if that's really what we need to do to make sure that you're safe. And so I want to make sure that we have a plan where you can reach out to an adult in your life who can really help make sure that you're going to get taken care of in that moment. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would add to that is I feel like it's a lot to put on a friend um, mm -hmm. to have to worry about trying to keep you safe. And I kind of put it back to them in the sense of if that happened to you, like, would that feel really big and overwhelming and, and maybe not knowing what to do? So we want to make sure mm -hmm. that's an adult because adults know what to do in those situations. And that's our job and our responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when families are, you know, concerned about their child and their child is describing symptoms of depression or, or even suicidality, where should families go for help in these situations? Should it be primary care? Should it be a school? Should it be a therapist? What do you think, Dr. Partain? Honestly, I think there's a lot of right answers um, in this scenario. I think that the the most sort of appropriate answer is going somewhere for help, is sort of taking that first step, which can sometimes be the most challenging. But in, in primary care, we're always happy to be sort of a, a starting point for getting a sense of what's going on and really trying to help um, help families understand what the interventions are and the supports that we have are in our specific community. So I think that's a big benefit of primary care is that mm -hmm. your, your doctor, or your provider should have a good sense of what's available in your community specifically. So that's a great place to start. But if you can't get in to see your doctor right away and the school counselor or school therapist is there, that's a great resource, um, particularly during the school year. So I, I like to encourage families to reach out there um, as, a, as a first point sometimes if they're just, you know, getting a sense that things are not going the greatest, or maybe their teen is struggling a little bit. If they have a, a therapist that they've worked with in the past, or someone in the family is working with, or that the teen is working with now, um, that's another great place that you can kind of reach out um, to try and to try and work on where do we go next? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and psychiatry sometimes has a, mm -hmm. um, a place for this, right? This is all that the psychiatry do is manage mental health in, in children. But nationally, there's, there's really a shortage of um, child and adolescent psychiatrists. Um, and so what are your thoughts? Do a lot of the mental health management fall to primary care and therapists? Or do you feel like it's kind of equal among psychiatry? So uh, certainly, um, if you have access to a child psychiatrist, that's a fabulous resource. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that's, you know, in terms of, of the need that we have and the amount of um, trained practicing child psychiatrists that we have in any given place in the United States, even in the most well-resourced areas, there's not enough child mm -hmm. psychiatrists. And so the reality is, yes, a lot of primary care providers are um, are sort of the starting point for families in these scenarios. And so we have the ability 
ability to kind of help assess and see what, what can we connect you with in the community that might be helpful. And then in some scenarios, there are times where I say, I really think that this is a child that we need to get in to see a child psychiatrist. And then I can help sort of guide the families into that through that referral process and making sure that we're supporting them in the meantime until they can get in to be seen by the specialist. Absolutely. Hannah, let's, um, let's talk about intervention. So what are uh, the treatments that are recommended? Um, especially what type of therapy is, is done to help children who are suffering with depression? Yeah, absolutely. So therapy is your first line intervention for teens dealing with any kind of mood issue. Um, but it has a special, um, great evidence base for managing depression. And so the most common one and best research is CBT, which stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy is based on this triangle. Um, and this can really help guide your child and you in kind of understanding um, the therapeutic interventions and even um, the conceptualization of depression. So in any given situation you're in, you are having thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, whether that's something at school, at home, with your friends. Um, and so if we break down those three areas, we can figure out how to intervene. So when we're depressed, our thoughts tend to be more negative, right? We're making a negative evaluation of the situation and that's then gonna impact how we feel or the choices we make. With our feelings, the biggest intervention is just naming it, right? Identifying it, putting words to what that feeling is in our body. And then there's a lot of work we can do with behaviors too, like which things make us feel better, what things are making us feel worse, what's something we could do to impact how we're thinking and how we're feeling. Um, so therapists are gonna go after those three arenas and help teach a child interventions in each of those areas. Um, and just to put a plug in for great therapy is skill-based. So asking the therapist, you know, what skills are you gonna work on with my teen um, and having the teen be able to try and implement those skills. Question for you, what kind of people do therapy? Um, because I think sometimes people are confused because people have different like number or le uh, letters behind their names. The biggest thing is that you want a clinician who has a master's degree or a doctorate degree. So those could be psychologists, those could be social workers, those could be um, clinical counselors, those could be marriage and family therapists. Um, but all those degrees have a master's degree, which focuses on mental health and training in um, the field of emotions, behaviors, and thoughts. Okay. So how do we know if a medication might be right to help um, a family or with their, their child's depression or help that teen with their depression? That's a really good question. And it's probably one of the most common ones that I get when families come in to talk about this. So um, I think it varies a little bit depending on the scenario. There are some cases where um, symptoms are so severe and, and they're struggling so much that uh, um, we may be talking about starting a medication or at the same time as working to get in with a therapist who provides CBT. Um, because we want to sort of give the teen every support that we can in that moment, because we really know that they're struggling. Um, other times we may be looking to have discussions about medication for mood in cases where, you know, they've been engaging with a therapist and doing some good work um, to learn some skills and they're still having worsening of their symptoms, or it's been several weeks and things aren't worse, but they're not really getting much better. Um, or maybe they're, they're really struggling to open up 
um, about their mood or what they're going through with their therapist. And so those may be other scenarios where we think about having discussions about medications. Um, sometimes it, it also comes up if there's a strong history in the family of other folks who've struggled with mood but have responded really well to medications and found that they were very helpful. What, what do we know about um, the use of antidepressant medications in, in teenagers? Um, and do we know they're safe? Have they been around for a long time? Have they been well studied? That's a great question. So there's one sort of primary group of medications that we really have the most research in that have been around for quite a while called SSRI medications. So um, uh, what that stands for is a, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And, and basically what that translates as is these are medicines that take the happy hormone in your brain and they help it stay around a little bit longer. And so that helps you feel happier at baseline and sort of helps there be a lot of times less um, really low lows in things when you're, when you're going through ups and downs in your mood. So we know a lot about how these medications work and their side effects. And, and what we find overall is that there's really not a whole lot of bad side effects with them. Most teenagers do quite well with them. Um, we do know that there is an FDA box warning about making sure that a teenager is staying safe while they're taking this medication. So that's something that I like all teenagers and parents to know about. And, and what it really means is that we're just gonna be in close contact. And that's something that for any depressed teenager, I wanna be doing anyways, is checking in with them and seeing how they're doing and seeing if they're ever having thoughts of not being alive. And so um, that's certainly something that we've seen in very small numbers in the studies for these medications. Um, but I'm gonna be checking in on that regardless of whether they're taking a medication or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one question that families will ask um, is once they start on a medication, is this something they're going to be on for life or is it something that maybe would be short term? Oh, that's such a good question. It's probably one of the most common ones that I get. So there are some people who take these medications for a longer period of time, but our goal, particularly for teenagers or for someone taking these medicines for the first time is really to use it to get them through a certain period or a certain episode of depression. And so um, as I'm starting a teenager on these medicines, my goal is typically to get them feeling better, to get them back to their normal self. Um, and then um, eventually they'll stay on the medicine for a period of time, even while they're feeling great because that helps keep them feeling well um, and decreases the chances that their mood slides again. Um, but then our goal is actually to eventually be able to take them off the medication. Now, um, sometimes things slide a little bit after we take them off the medication and we find that they need to stay on it for a little longer period of time. And it is tricky sometimes for me to be able to predict if that will happen, but our goal at the beginning is not that this be a lifetime commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned the black box warning with the suicidal thoughts families um, often wonder, is it okay to ask if you're suicidal or is that something that you're suggesting to your child that they should feel that way? I think that's a common fear for parents um, is that I'm going to put the idea in their head, right? Um, and that's just not how teenagers work. So they've either thought about it or they haven't. Um, probably they've thought about it, whether or not it's been in a depressive state and you opening the door and saying, um, it's okay to talk about it is huge. And then they're going to be more likely to come to you and know that it's an okay topic to bring up. So by you asking, you know, are you having any thoughts about hurting yourself? Are you feeling suicidal? Um, they're either going to be like, no, that's so stupid. Why are you asking me? Mm -hmm. Or they're going to be like, yeah, actually. And, and um, you'll be able to go somewhere with that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes um, adolescents will tell me that mental health is just not something that their family talks about, or it's just not something that their family believes. Um, what would you say to families that are really struggled with, with even talking about emotions or feelings ever in the past um, to start going down that pathway and really starting to explore that more? I like to talk about the mind and body connection and that we can't care for our bodies well unless we're also caring for our mind and our emotions. And so sometimes helping families to understand that it's just as important as eating healthy in terms of what your body needs, mm -hmm. that can help um, bring it out of this kind of scared psychological world down into a physical world. Mm, that's and I like to encourage families in that scenario just to not be afraid to start. Um, I've encountered some parents that are sort of nervous to try to have these kinds of conversations because maybe that that wasn't the way things worked for them and their family growing up. And so they don't really know how to go about it and they're worried mm -hmm. they'll do it wrong. And I, I like to try to encourage them just to try and mm -hmm. teenagers appreciate it when you're real with them and, and you can just say, okay, I'm trying something new here. I've never done this before. Let's just talk about what's going on and how mm -hmm. you're feeling, what's going on in your, in your life, in your head. Mm -hmm. Can I help you with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, asking the teen to share these thoughts makes them really vulnerable. So if you can also show your vulnerability, I think they're going to respect that um, mm -hmm. to realize that I, this, I'm uncomfortable with this, but you're important to me. Um, and so let's try this out. Mm -hmm. We're going to get it wrong, right? Um, but we're going to learn together. So I absolutely, I love that. Um, another question we get from families a lot is, you know, how do I support my teen through their depression, through their treatments, their recovery, all of those things? Hannah, what do you think about that? So I think doing frequent check-ins is really important. Um, and that can be a part of the safety plan that you create with your kids. So a good safety plan involves understanding who are their support people, who can they go to when they're feeling down or feeling suicidal. Um, and so like mentioned earlier, having other protective adults in their family um, or in their system is really important and crucial. And so let's make a list of who are all your people and then how are you going to get a hold of them, right? Do they have cell phone numbers? Are you going to text message? Are you going to um, send them an instant message? Um, and then what are your list of like three to five go-to good activities? Like this is going to distract me. It's going to bring me some joy in the short term. Maybe I'm going to blast some loud music or I'm going to get a coloring sheet out. Um, and then I have all the kids that leave my office, put the crisis numbers into their phone, mm -hmm. like in their contact list, name it, Bob, if you want, I don't care, but you're much more likely to call it when it's right there. If you have to go find that magnet somewhere that someone gave you, it's not going to happen. So there are crisis um, phone numbers and there's also crisis text lines. So mm -hmm. when our teenagers are not feeling as comfortable talking on the phone, um, there's some other options for them as well to feel comfortable and to be able to share uh, how they're feeling in that moment. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you would have like all written out and stuff, or is this something that's just kind of more conceptual? I think it'd be great to write it out, um, okay. even to stick it up, you know, somewhere common area, like here's our plan. And it, it's kind of a crisis for, plan for anything that might go mm -hmm. wrong. You know, there's a fire, you still need to call somebody <laughs> for help. Right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's good. It, again, it gets back to the basics of all things. So, um, Parents sometimes ask themselves, um, you know, why did this happen? Um, is this my fault? Did I do something? Did I say something that might have caused this? How do you how do you respond to that, Dr. Partain? Gosh, it's so common that I hear that. And I think what's it's so important to realize in that moment is that there are so many reasons, um, so many some sort of complex things that interact to 
to change our mood that um, it's almost impossible usually to pinpoint one specific cause of what's going on in a teenager's life in particular. And so um, just recognize that, you know, sometimes it just happens. There are some teens who may not have had anything um, really big or crazy um, sort of happen in their lives and they still start to feel down. And I think that that's really important for people to recognize that depression happens the same way cancer happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the same way appendicitis happens. It, it just, it just comes on and we, there's not always a cause for it. Now, mm-hmm. in, in cases where there may be specific things, specific kind of triggers or challenges going on in your child's life, um, your provider or your teen's therapist may be able to help you strategize around some ways that you guys can make that better. You know, if you identify that, you know, interactions on social media have been something that are stressful for your child, maybe they can help you make a plan around that. Or if, Mm -hmm. if you identify that maybe you guys are struggling in your communications at home, a therapist can sort of help you guys try to work on that as an area to, to help support their mood and improve their mood moving forward. So I try to just help parents understand that placing blame isn't often very helpful. It's more about trying to recognize the complexity of the situation and, and recognize that there are so many things that we can try to do to help them moving forward. What if their child's uh, trigger sort of situation was that they were being bullied? Um, and then that may have led to some change in their feelings and thoughts and behaviors that ultimately led to depression. How, how would you recommend that families approach this situation? And I'm not sure if it's bullying online or if it's bullying in person or possibly both in this digital world. Yeah, so the biggest thing is to find a way to end the bullying. So if that's going on at school, you know, what can you do to get the school involved to create some physical separation? If it's online, creating separation of um, defriending or taking a break from that site, um, that media thing, because we really need to remove that message that the child is hearing that says, you know, you're not good enough or something's not right about you. Um, And then start to rebuild them by creating the positive connections in their life, whether that's, you know, let's have a friend over this weekend to, you know, kind of bolster when you feel good and when you're enjoying yourself or a supportive adult that you want to hang out with or an enjoyable activity that we can all do together. Okay. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So I know this has been a, um, you know, it's a heavy, it's a hard topic. It's some, it's reality though. It's what we deal with, but I want to end on um, a positive note for families who are listening and and how they can help implement really good mental health practices for their family, for their teens, for their children who aren't depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Pershing, would you like to go first? And I'd love to hear from Hannah as well. Absolutely. I think some of the most important things that we can do are really trying to find in our everyday lives a good, consistent routine. I think that the school year has been really chaotic um, over the last 12 months and sort of everyone's routines have been really disrupted. But as we can try to get back into a more regular routine, I think that that's really crucial for everyone's mental health. And kind of along with that routine, making sure that your teens are getting appropriate sleep at night. That's a really big struggle for teenagers who are pulled in a hundred different directions with activities and schoolwork and all these other things going on, but getting enough sleep at night and getting good sleep at night is really crucial to that. Um, as well as making sure they're getting regular meals during the day. Um, I think we sort of take for granted the, that eating happens in our lives sometimes and it, and it become, it kind of takes a back seat. You're sort of mm-hmm. like, oh, I missed a meal, no big deal. But what happens over time is if that, that really um, is kind of a snowball that rolls down a hill and you, and you suddenly have a really busy teenager who's you know, only eating once a day. And that's really something actually that can have a big impact on their mental health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Hannah, do you have any thoughts on? 
Yeah, I'd add to that. It's important to keep our teenagers social. So Mm -hmm. it is really normal for them to want to be with their friends over their family. And so creating places and ways for them to be social and have those social connections is going to help their mental health. And then also having that thing that they can be really proud of. Um, So whether your child is an athlete or they're a musician or they're really good at their job, they're hardworking or they volunteer, finding something that is their thing that they're proud of. Um, and then allowing them to really blossom into that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Hannah and Dr. Partain for joining us again. Have a great day. Remember to stay safe and socially distance when appropriate. Wear a mask and please get your COVID-19 vaccine when it's available to you. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all the Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.